with our series, Spiritual Disciplines, for everyday people. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like we can get this picture in our head of what spiritual disciplines look like and who it's for. Like you get the picture of the monk who's like just sitting there meditating. Like, oh, well, that's that. Those are the people who do that kind of stuff. Those are people who meditate. Those are the people who fast. Those are the people who pray. And sometimes I don't know if I would include myself. I would definitely include myself in this. It's hard to picture and imagine yourself in a place where you're able to engage in these things, these disciplines, in a way that just makes sense in your everyday life. We've already got a lot going on. We've got stuff with school. We've got stuff with work. We've got stuff with friends. We've got stuff with relationships. Nod your head if you're feeling this. It's hard to imagine how do we cram more stuff into our lives. And I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks, as we walk through this series together, we'll see that it's actually more accessible than you might think. And last week, Pastor Matt started himself kind of just talking through what are disciplines. He talked about three different types of disciplines. He talked about inward disciplines. He talked about outward disciplines that kind of affect those around us. And then he talked about corporate disciplines, things we do together, like as the gathered church. And if you didn't catch last week, I, I I'm not going to try and do it justice of, of recapping all that. You got to go back and listen to it. It was so good. Give me some really good practical handles on what it looks like to have these disciplines uh, in your life. In fact, he uses scripture to kind of walk through the importance of this. This in 1 Timothy says this, instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. I think we very naturally, especially this time of year, we had this concept of understanding the idea of wanting to be a better you, right? New year, new you, right? Who hasn't heard that before? And you equate that sometimes to that physical training, maybe going to the gym or having those things that we do to physically make ourselves better. Well, to be more like Jesus, it also takes some effort, some, some, some uh, intentionality from us. And another thing Matt mentioned last week is he mentioned this book called <coughs> Celebration of Dis- uh, Dis- Discipline sorry, uh, by Richard J. Foster. This is a book that I read uh, probably in college. It's re- if, you, if you're a reader, this is a great read because it's some really deep stuff, but he's a very good author, so it's not like too academic or anything like that. It's very accessible. And in that, I, I think Dr. Foster does some really awesome handling of some pretty complex ideas. Um, and there are two quotes that, he, that Matt used last week that I thought kind of underscored everything we're talking about when it comes to spiritual disciplines. First, he said this. He said, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The point of the disciplines is not to create a whole set of rules and bars we got to jump over in order to get to Jesus. Instead, it's a pathway, it's a conduit to receive the grace of God. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. It's not a list of rules and regulations and requirements that we have to jump over and hoops to get through in order so we can be close to Jesus. Instead, it is the way that we position ourselves to receive grace. And by receiving grace, we see growth and change in our lives, not because of how hard we're trying, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see the difference? It's not about trying more, doing more. It's about receiving more so we might become more like Jesus. And if you leave hearing nothing else today, I'm going to say this a bunch today, so you're going to walk away. It's going to be hard for you to not forget this. But I think this next idea is really the, the undercurrent of the why behind this entire series, and that's this. He says, joy is the keynote, is the undercurrent, is the main theme of all the disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is, the, is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear 
And the primary requirement is just a longing after God. Joy is the keynote of all disciplines. And I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in the church for the most part, pretty much. And I don't think it was ever taught this way, but this is how I received it, is that spiritual disciplines are something you did because you followed Jesus. Like, I have to do these things because I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus. And it became this list of tasks. It became this list of hoops I had to jump through. And not that they're bad in themselves, but my perspective was completely different. Joy was not a factor. It was something I guess I experienced at moments. Sure, like, you know, when you get into the, a, a good rhythm in your life and you feel like, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm experiencing the growth that I'm seeking after. That can feel good. But then there's this other side where because we put it on ourselves to try and do and achieve, when we make that the focus, you feel things like shame or just you feel bad, you feel failure, you feel like you've missed the mark somehow. Does anyone feel like that too? Because I feel like that too, especially as I grew up. I felt that a lot because you would get on a roll, you'd feel really good, start of a new year, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then February, you're like, where's my Bible? I got to, Because what you did is you took a Band-Aid and you're like, I'm going to stick it on this. And the Band-Aid fell off. And you didn't process the steps beyond that to make it a real change in your life. Instead, you focus on the thing rather than positioning yourself to receive the grace from God. And as a result of that, you experience the joy that can come from these disciplines. It's not about the disciplines themselves. It's about how they position us to grow in our lives. And so this morning, we want to talk about how we want to apply these spiritual disciplines to our lives. But I thought it would be helpful to start by kind of flipping it the other way around to where instead of be talking about just a laundry list of things we can do to make it feel like we've got a whole other list of stuff we've got to put on for ourselves, I want to start with how we should not apply the disciplines to our lives. Because I don't know about you, but this is where I gravitate towards. A lot of these things are like my natural kind of progression towards, okay, I want to do these things. In my, I want to have this as a part of my life. I see the value. And I see the purpose of I want to be more like Jesus. I want to position myself so I can receive the grace of God so that I might experience joy through these disciplines. I get that. That's cool. I want that. And my brain goes to these ways that we should apply them. But I want to encourage you uh, just being mindful of these pitfalls. The first is that we don't, we can't make the disciplines the law. We can't make the disciplines the law. If you look into the Old Testament, okay, a lot of what we see there is rules and regulations and rituals that are not bad. I don't want you to hear that. I feel like a lot of times we get, they get a bad rap because, well, Jesus came and he, and he put those things away. Yes, that's correct. He came to die to give us freedom from all those things. But what happens in the Old Testament is there was no connection for man and God to be with one another. That was broken in the garden. So God created a way for man and God to coexist. These rules, these rituals, these, these, these things that were part of normal life for these people were a way for them to be close to God, right? So they're not bad things in themselves. But like I said, Jesus came to die, to, to, to uh, 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 give us freedom from that slavery. And what we do sometimes is we take these disciplines and try to replace them with what we've been freed from. You see that? We have freedom, and yet we're choosing to put these chains back on ourselves. And we, well, no, we got to do, if I want to be close to Jesus, I got to do this, or I got to do this, and I got to do this. We put things in front 
of the one who is the actual point. And in fact, in Romans, we read this. This is Romans 6. It says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We had this relationship with sin where we had no way of breaking free of it. We had no alternative, hence the, the, the need for the ritual, for the sacrifice, for the uh, 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 providing something to uh, uh, atone for that sin. It's on us to figure that out. That's Jesus. Jesus came with that once and for all, forever. It continues in verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. And he continues like this. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And it finishes like this. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We have this thing that's happened. It's not a thing we have to have happen over and over and over again. Jesus died once and for all. That's it. So while to us it may feel like you're having to start over and come back and start over and come back, that's not the reality you live in. The reality live, that you live in is that Christ died once and for all. And that when we receive that free gift of grace, that salvation, that's when we are crucified to our old self. That old self goes away and we now live in this new life. And what we experience is that living in that new life is not a snap of the finger moment. It's not a download of a program and now I'm perfect, now I'm good. I haven't experienced that. It's life that we walk through. But what Jesus promises is that he sends the Holy Spirit to walk with us in and through those things. So what we can't create is we've been freed from these laws, from this slavery to sin that weighed us down for so long, and now we think the way towards Jesus is to then replace it with another thing, another set of, well, I got to pray, I got to read my Bible. I gotta, that's not the point of the spiritual disciplines. It's not to create another set of legalism. The disciplines are not virtuous on their own. Reading your Bible, praying is not virtuous on its own. It's what it does in the context of your relationship with Jesus. Think of like football, right? The rules of football are no good on their own. They're only good in the context of the game, the thing you're trying to do. If you take the rules out of it, then the game doesn't make any sense. With the rules, they help provide structure and a way forward to do what you're trying to do. There's no virtue in the things themselves. It's what the things position you to experience, to position you to receive grace that you might grow, you might experience joy in your life. We weren't saved to make ourselves slaves to another thing entirely. So we can't make the disciplines a new law or another law for us. The second thing is we can't or don't separate the disciplines. Don't separate them into their own things. And I feel like this is a very natural thing for humans to do because we gravitate towards what is easiest. It's like water flowing down a hill. It goes through that path of least resistance, right? And I feel like that's very normal for all of us to experience. And so you may find it like you had that person growing up in your life who was like praying was just easy for them, and that's like a super, like, they boom, they're going right there, but they're not going to church because they don't see the point in that. Or they're not fasting. They don't, they don't believe that's for them. But the prayer thing, man, I'm a prayer warrior. Like, that's what they're known as. But the point isn't one's more important than the other. They're not. And they're not multiple streams. It's not paths. It's a singular path to growth. The spiritual disciplines are meant to be 
in conjunction with one another. They're meant to be a holistic per, a picture of someone who follows Jesus. It's really not one is more important than the other. It's, it's the single path. It's not the path of the many. So we got to resist the temptation to separate them into these isolated streams and instead think of it as a cohesive picture of what it looks like to position ourselves to receive grace and then ultimately experience joy in our lives. So we don't don't separate the disciplines. And the third one I think is tough for some people in that we don't want to make the disciplines a show. Now, I don't believe a lot of people do this on purpose, but I think it can really be a subconscious thing that, um, let's take social media, right? Some people like to appear in a certain way. I like to use these disciplines. Oh, I'm praying today. Hashtag blessed. Or I've got my Bible study and I got this perfect little picture and I got this, I'm presenting myself in a certain way. And that's, that's kind of what today is, right? When you look in the Bible, it was, it was a little bit different. Like it was almost like a status thing of how holy you were. Or if you grew up in youth group, you know, like the kids who were like, they're the ones who pray for things or they're the ones who do this. And like the, they kind of position themselves in a way to where they're using the spiritual disciplines as an opportunity to not, I, I, I truly, and I'm, I, I'm a believe the best out of people, even like when it's not rational. Um, but I, I don't think it's, it's an intentional thing, but it's very much becomes a product of I'm trying to present myself in a certain way because of the disciplines. And, and the Bible speaks specifically to that. Jesus speaks specifically to this. This is Matthew 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. He continues on in verse 2. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do blowing the trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and give your father who sees everything uh, will reward you. Continues on. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Because I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. There's a real warning Jesus is giving here of, of understanding the role that the disciplines play in our life. They're not meant to be an amplification of a, of a picture, of an image we want to present of ourselves. He speaks to these hypocrites who are making the act of the thing they're doing more important than why they're doing it in the first place. Now, I don't think that everyone who shares an image on social media of them doing their quiet time or, or uh, uh, people who teach on how to fast and things like that or whatever, I don't think they're inherently bad. Don't hear that. That's not the point that I'm making. What I'm, what I'm trying to point out to us is that as we go on this journey, as we walk through this path of allowing the, the disciplines to be a part of our everyday lives, for us normal people who have a million other things happening, there's a, there's a temptation sometimes to point to that and be like, oh man, I feel like I'm doing really good. I don't think it's wrong in like a, a, a smaller context in like your small group or like maybe a discipleship group, a couple people that you're walking through this with, to be celebrating those things. Like, hey, I've never fasted before and I just did a, a one night fast. How cool is that? That to me is totally different than what Jesus is condemning here of making it about you. You're shifting the focus 
of these spiritual disciplines of meaning to be about you walking through this and turning into a presentation of who you want to be. You, we care too much about what others think about us, and we curate. That's one of the things I, ha- I have a frustration with with social media so much is it's so easy to curate this persona, this appearance on social media that behind the scenes, they have no clue like the stuff we're actually going through. And it can create this real divide where it's hard for us to experience growth because we're presenting one thing and we're experiencing another. I speak from that person. I've seen that in my life. So we have to resist making the disciplines about a show. So if those are the things we should avoid. What should we be engaging with? How should we apply the disciplines to our life? Well, the first thing that pops out to me, and this is a very practical thing, is we've got to determine where and how your disciplines happen. Determine where and how your disciplines happen. I had a pastor growing up where he would talk about the concept of pre-deciding for your future self. I'm deciding now that in this circumstance, at this place, at this time, whatever happens, I'm going to do this. You take the decision out of the moment and you put it here in the past where I say, when that happens, I'm going to do this. Now, you still got to follow through, but the idea with this is we're deciding where and how these disciplines should take place. Now, if only we had a picture for how that's supposed to happen, like what does it look like to, to do that? What, we don't have you know, explicit directions from the Bible, like step one, do this, step two. But Jesus does speak directly to this. And, and again, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, feel free to pull this out. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6 again. This is verse 6. Uh, where it says this. This is Jesus speaking again. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. It's not about what others see. It's not about how we present ourselves to the world. It's about taking the moment and shutting out all the other things and having a place where we're able to do that. In fact, it continues on in verse 16. It says this. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth that that is the only reward they will ever get. I just love the idea that there's like, even in Jesus' time, he was seeing this of like people who were fasting and they would make themselves look like total garbage. So it's like, wow, that guy is really going through it. Like they're presenting themselves in such a way that the, them fasting and being seen as those who fast is more important than what the fasting is doing for them in their personal life. Continues in verse 17 like this. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. It's not about how others see us. It's about the fact that we're taking the time to say no to all the other things and yes to the things that truly matter. In order to do that, especially in our busy lives and all the things that are happening with us, we have to, to pre-decide where and how. And that can be different for different disciplines for you. It can be different for different moments for you. In fact, that actually takes us into this next point that I want to give. And I think this is true for, I think it's true for everybody, but I think it's especially true for moms, I think you're especially unkind to yourself in this way, in that we have to consider your season to determine your rhythms. Consider your season to determine your rhythms. What I mean by that is not every season in life is equal when it comes to opportunity, time for yourself, time to do the things that actually matter to you, okay? 
And what happens is we tend to err towards the rhythms piece first, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And the point of the rhythms of life, especially when it comes to our spiritual disciplines, is to establish a tempo that's consistent, that's manageable, that's sustainable, right? And we start there, and we build like, well, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to give it 6 a.m., I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read my Bible, and then I'm going to coffee, and then I'm going to do this, and it's going to be great. Oh, this perfect, my morning's going to be so perfect, it's going to be great. And then you like wake up on Monday morning, and you forget that, oh yeah, 6 o'clock, the sick kid woke up early, so I got to take care of the sick kid. And then 6.15, we got to get the other one dressed for school. Then we got to all hop in the car and go to school. Then I got to take the sick one to urgent care. And then I come back for the younger kid. Y'all with me? Like life happens. We take the rhythm and say it should dictate what our season, our experience should be in our season. And that's not how life works. What I'm saying is this. I think you got to start the other way around. And when I say moms, I, I, I'm speaking specifically to the fact that a lot of times you'll see others around you and it's very easy to compare yourself. I do this myself too. Where I'm seeing the season they're in, and, I, I, and I'm hearing about the growth they're experiencing, or, oh, they have great time for this in the morning, and they have time to work out, and they have time for this, and they have time for that, whatever it might be. And I'm like, I want that too. Why can't I have that? And you just get frustrated because you're so focused on the rhythm, but you're not acknowledging the season that you're in. And the season doesn't mean that, okay, well, I'm just not going to do these things. It just means we have to be kind to ourselves to understand that each season has a different purpose. There's things we have to focus on in different times. In fact, the Bible speaks to this. This is Ecclesiastes 3. It says this, that there's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth. And it continues on, just lists a whole bunch of stuff. This is from the message version. It says this in verse 2. It says, a right time for the birth and another for death, right time for, to plant and to reap, a right time to kill and another to heal, right time to destroy, another to construct, right time to cry, another to laugh, time to lament, and another to cheer, right time to make love, and another to abstain, right time to embrace, and another to part, right time to search, and another to count your losses, a right time to hold on, and another to let go, right time to rip out, and another time to mend, right time to shut up, and another time to speak up, a right time to love, and another to hate, right time to wage war and another to make peace. The picture this is painting is that not all seasons are equal. So the rhythms we create for one season don't work for another. You with me? So you've got to start with what season am I in? What does that look like? What is God calling me to in this season? And in some seasons, it requires sacrifice. It requires that I have to put other things first and pull other things out. There's a, there's a concept um, that I learned a long time ago called intentional neglect. I wish I knew where I pulled this from. But the idea is, like, you got five things that are all super important, right? And we want to do all of them, but your season that you're in is going to help you understand what you have to do. And so you, might, you have to say yes, you're choosing to say yes to these two things, and that means you need to intentionally neglect the others during that season. doesn't mean you choose to not do them entirely. It means you're saying no to some things to say yes to others. And what I'm saying is that your season has to define that. Not every discipline is optimized for every season. Not every discipline is optimized for every season. So in some seasons, it might be difficult for you to find that time for yourself to get away private that's, that's your own. And it might not look perfect and that's another thing I think that a lot of us struggle with, myself included, is that if it can't be perfect, then I can't do it. 
If I can't have 45 minutes to read my Bible, to pray, to drink my coffee, to do blah, 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 take my notes, to get my colored pens out, if I can't do that, then I'm not going to do it at all. I think God honors action over what you think is going to be perfect. He doesn't care that it's not exactly the nice little perfect way you want it to. Because again, the point isn't for you to have like this moment of euphoria of like, oh, this is so good that I'm doing this. It's obedience. It's about pursuing a path that places us in a position that we might receive grace so that you would receive joy as a result. We have to understand the season we're in and then develop rhythms, sustainable, consistent rhythms for that season. So we've got to consider our season to develop our rhythms. The third piece here is that it's not about developing habits that we're going to kick in, like I'm going to do this at this time, do this at this time. Instead, we've got to think identity and lifestyle over habits. Habits are a part of what's going to make this happen, like they're bricks in the wall, but they're not the point themselves. And a lot of times I think we focus on the habits, like we really drill down into the things you want to do. You make that list. I don't know if you're like this. I like to list things out, like and organize them in a nice, neat little thing because that helps my brain. But then a lot of times I'll like forget that I did that. And then it's six weeks down the road. And I'm like, oh, I should have been doing that. And that's because what I did is I created a list of habits I want to follow instead of changing the way I think about my identity or think about the way that I want to change my lifestyle. And there's a lot of studying on this to where in the scientific community when they, when they talk about goals and change and, and growth in general for people, those who choose to go the route of just having habits in their life, see some kind of change, sure, for sure, because you're, you're changing things that you're doing, but those who change their identity, let's say a person who wants to, to uh, be healthier by running more, right? The person who says, well, I'm going to have a plan where I get up and I'm going to do two miles in the morning, three times a week, and then once or twice a week I'm going to do longer runs or what? They have these things, right? Those people see a different kind of change than the person who says, I am a runner, therefore, I'm going to do this. Therefore, I'm not going to do that. Therefore, I'm going to do this. You see the difference? One is I'm adding things on to whatever I've got in my life. The other is I'm going to change the way I understand myself and therefore change my lifestyle. I am a runner, so I'm going to do this. I am a follower of Jesus, so I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Nod your head if you're with me. There's a difference here. And the more that we understand that life change doesn't come from new habits, life change happens when there's a fundamental change in how we see ourselves and and, and our identity to our, like how we see ourselves, how we we identify ourselves and how we uh, live out our lifestyle. Like if you think about Saul in the New Testament, he didn't become Paul because he had habits that stacked up in his life. Saul became Paul because he had an experience. It changed how he saw himself And now he's in a different world. When we encounter Jesus, what happens is life change. And if we don't change that perspective of ourselves, if we still hold on to those things of our old self that we died to, and that I'm still this, or I'm still this, or I'm still that, and those are our identities, over I'm a child of God, I'm a follower of Jesus, then it doesn't matter how many habits we stack up because our identity hasn't changed, so our lifestyle is not going to change. The fruit that comes from that is not going to change. You can't out-habit an identity issue. And the Bible speaks to this. This is in Colossians 3. It says, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place 
of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. We have to put to death that old identity. We're not those things that used to define us. We're not those failures. We're not those lifestyle things that we chose before, good, bad, and different. We have now changed our identity into one who follows Jesus. I am a child of God, and that identity should dictate our lifestyle. Yes, which will change our habits as a root of that. But that one thing has to define all those other pieces. We have to think identity and lifestyle change over habit. But I think it all goes back to the fact, that that, that succinct point, that joy is the keynote of all disciplines. That through all this, what we experience is joy. Not because we've tried enough or done enough, but because we position ourselves in a place to receive grace from God, and as a result of that, we begin to experience joy in reading our Bible, joy in coming to church, joy in praying for one another, joy in fasting. These opportunities to become more and more like Jesus are a conduit to experience joy in our lives. This, this idea just kept coming back and back into my mind as I was trying to figure out how do we, how do we process this as followers of Jesus and how, like how like what's the what's the math here that that it ends that we come to a place where we understand that the spiritual disciplines lead to joy and and, and I I thought of this passage in uh, where Jesus is speaking to us in Matthew 11 he says this then Jesus said come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest and he continues on and says this take my yoke upon you and let me teach you now, in the Old Testament, well, just in Jewish culture in general, you have rabbis, teachers, right? And Jesus was a Jew. I mean, he grew up in that culture. That's where he was coming from. And so were all the disciples. So they very much understood uh, uh, what it was to be culturally Jew- Jewish, to be religiously Jewish. They understood these things. And, and when you fo- in the Jewish faith, typically you're, fo- you're, you're following the teachings or the understandings, the, interp- the scriptural interpretations of a rabbi. So the rabbi is reading the scripture and you're kind of falling under that teaching. They would call that the yoke of the rabbi. That when you're, under, you're sitting under his teaching, you're taking on that yoke. You see that? It's not just the metaphor of, a, of an animal or a beast pulling something heavy because they've got something on them. Yeah, that's, that's one part of this, I think. But I think the other piece is that literal yoke of a rabbi of take my yoke, take my understanding upon you. Let me teach you, he says, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That's how we experience joy through these disciplines. It's not meant to put another thing on our plate, where we got to do and try and act more to be more and more like Jesus. We have to meet all these goals. We have to jump through all these hoops to be more like Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, the burden I give you is light. My yoke is easy because I'm humble, because I'm gentle at heart. So we pursue these disciplines so that we might position ourselves in such a way to receive grace from God. And as a result, we experience joy because it's the undercurrent of all those disciplines. 
So I hope as, over the next couple of weeks as we go through this series, we continue this series together, you're able to kind of pull out those opportunities. You're able to pull out those things that God's speaking to you personally. Like, what are those things that you need to evaluate? What season of life are you in right now? What does that look like? And out of that, how do we develop rhythms that help us to experience those disciplines in such a way that position us in a way to grow? It's not about trying harder. It's not about being more. It's not about uh, being, going out and, and automatically praying in front of a whole bunch of people. It's not, about, it's not about any of those things. What it's about is it's about understanding that we're to position ourselves in such a way to pursue Jesus through the disciplines, to become more and more like him that we might receive grace and ultimately experience joy. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I, I pray that's something we all experience in the new year. And we can take these real things and put them into our lives. We might see growth and real change and real life in our, in our daily, everyday lives. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for your word that you uh, provide clear direction, God, in, in areas that are hard to flesh out sometimes that, um, God, uh, I just regret that we sometimes make it so much more difficult than it has to be. That you preach to us, that you teach us that it's, it's, it's meant to be easy and light, that your burden is not meant to be something we struggle with or something that is pulling against us, but God, that is helping us into these rhythms, and God, that in every season, no matter where we are or what's happening in our lives, we're able to experience your love, your grace, and God, your joy through obedience, through taking the time uh, and believing that, that you, God, multiply all things for us. God, would you help us to recognize daily that we die to ourselves, our old self, our old flesh, God, that we, we get the opportunity to walk in new life through Christ. That it's not about how hard we try or how much we, we cram into our days, but God, that we would learn, God, rhythms that, that give us the opportunity to sit in a place where we can receive your grace, God. Not for anyone else, not for social media, not for those around us, but God, just for ourselves personally. That when we have moments where we fall out of those rhythms, we give ourselves grace and come back into them. That's what we might ultimately experience joy by walking alongside you day by day to become more and more like you each step. God, we love you and we're grateful for your love. In your name we pray, amen.